you know, we, we need to know each other's stories, and uh, I'm always uh, blessed when someone's willing to share theirs. And I, I know, you know, most of you very, very well in this room, and I know every single one of you, you know, have a story. And I, I used to encourage this a lot kind of in the beginnings, uh, baby stages of our churches, but you guys, don't be afraid to get to know people here, because every single one of you has a story. Every single one of you has a testimony. Every single one of you, you know, I don't know what it is about and I, I've talked on this before, but there's this perception that when we come to church, and I used to feel this way, you know, when I was younger and I would go visit churches, there's this perception that when you walk in the building, that everyone else has their lives together but you, right? Isn't there that misconception that this, our own feeling, our own kind of, everybody else looks like they've got it together except me. They don't know that I woke up this morning and, you know, and I got in a fight with my spouse or I was wrestling with my kids because they didn't want to get dressed or they didn't want to wake up and they didn't want to go to church or, or whatever. Or I just woke up and I just felt like I didn't want to do, as they say, I didn't want to adult this morning, right? Just didn't want to do life this morning. We all feel that way. And it is so important, you guys, you know, as we're talking about the light and as we're talking about the light being here, it is so important for us to shine our, our, the light that God has given us with each other. Because when we don't connect and when we don't fellowship and when we don't encourage each other, the enemy comes in and starts lying to us, right? He starts lying to us. I'm going to be talking about that today. And we start to believe those lies because we don't have other people that we can go, you know, you're going through that too? You, you feel that way too? You, you, when you walk into church, you feel like, what the heck am I doing here? I, I, I don't deserve to be here. I don't, you know, everybody else looks like they got their lives together and they don't know what I'm going through. Every single one of us feels that way. Every single one of us. I feel that way. I still, when I stand up here, think, Lord, what am I doing? I do not deserve to be standing in front of a bunch of people, you know, uh, uh, you know, preaching at them and, and trying to teach them. And I, I still feel like I'm trying to figure this whole thing out myself. But that's what's amazing about God's love, about his grace, and about his mercy is that that's not what he, he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for availability. He's looking for our hearts to be open. He's looking for us to, to allow his light to be shined in our heart. That's it. He's just, you know, to be open. So I, I want to continue uh, kind of my message on the light is here. Last week we talked about light and we talked about its functions and, and you know, we talked about the purpose of, of light and I shared with you guys, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do during Christmas is to go look at lights, right? We have lights everywhere. In fact, we go, uh, if you guys are looking for something to do with your family or, or, you know, a bunch of people or something real fun, go to the Brea lights. Just search Brea lights. That's all you even have to do. Search Brea Lights. It's up in Brea in this uh, beautiful community. In fact, it's hard not to drool over the homes because you're like, oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful house. You know, I'd love to even move into this community. But every single house, maybe minus a couple, every single house is lit. I mean, to the hilt. I mean, it is decked out in every single way. Uh, in fact, it's funny because you'll, you'll cross one home that maybe has like a little very simple, and you just, you almost like shake your head at like, how dare they? 
How, how dare they not give it 100%? I mean, look at all the other houses have given 100%. How dare this house, which, by the way, we don't have one light up at our house. So who am I to be judging? But you get very judgy when you're walking around this beautiful neighborhood and you walk by one house and they don't have anything on the lawn. They just have the simple, you know, strand. You know, I mean, it's still, you know, very neat and nice. And if it was in our neighborhood, it would be a lot. But comparison to these houses that are like beacons, you know, you just kind of shake your head at it. But I would, I would encourage you, you know, if you want to do something with your family, go check out the Braille Lights. But, but what is it about light and lights that is associated with Christmas, right? We get around Christmas time and the lights come out. You know, it's not that it just that it gets darker in the winter. There really is a spiritual significance to the reason why we put lights everywhere. I mean, think about it, Right? Think about, you know, not only do we put lights on houses, but we put uh, uh, lights on Christmas trees, right? We, we, we put lights on, uh, you know, inside our homes, on the banisters and on, the, uh, on your, you know, for those of you who have stairs and you wind them on the stair rails and, and things like that. We put lights everywhere. I've seen lights on cars, right? I love it. I love it when you're driving around and someone's decked out their, you know, their car and they got lights all over it. It is so cool. There's just something beautiful about it. There's something attractive about it. You know, I've never, ever seen anybody complain about the abundance of light around Christmas. Never. Never have I heard, I guess unless you're the guy that lives next door to the guy who's crazy about lights and you even at midnight, it's shining through your bedroom door. I I get it. I understand. But you guys, I believe there's something significant. There's something to not be missed. There's something to take note of, of why Light is a big part of Christmas, and I'm going to explain that today. In the Gospel of John, we see Jesus refer to himself as the light of the world. John 8, 12 says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is stating to you, that he's not just some normal guy. So if, if, if people are, are arguing on who Jesus is, Jesus said who he was over and over and over again, right? He, he was, he's the bread of life, right? He's the light of the world. You know, he, Jesus constantly was saying who he was. And he used this term, and, and, it's, and it's something, you can't get away from light. And I, I, I said You know, last week I was explaining the difference between light and darkness. You can't turn on darkness, right? You don't use that term, hey, go turn on the darkness when you walk into that room. What what do you have to do to get darkness? You have to turn off the light. That's how powerful light is. It penetrates. You can't move darkness into it. That's how strong light is. God, you know, there's something powerful about Jesus' statement when he's saying, I am the light of the world. He's is in essence saying, you know, in me, there, there is no darkness. In me, darkness cannot come. There's not a mingling, right? That, that, that there's not this idea of, you know, well, Jesus is just a nice guy. No, he is the light of the world. Darkness has to flee in his presence. Even before Jesus walked the earth, the prophets talked about him, and they even uh, referred to him as the light, and I'm going to share them with you. Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, uh, says in uh, uh, Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Even Isaiah is, is, is talking about the Messiah before Jesus ever walked the earth. And he referred to him as this light. He referred to him as they were walking around in darkness and they were walking around in shadows and they were walking around, you know, literally he's, he's even talking about the, the valley of the shadow of death. If that doesn't sound familiar to you, you know, it's, it's in the Psalms. And he talks about how Jesus is this great light that lights up the darkness that we can finally see we can finally be aware of, of what is going on and be aware of our surroundings. I don't know about you, but growing up, I was terrified of the dark. Terrified. I, I did not like, first of all, I don't like being alone, okay? And on top of that, I don't like being alone in a dark house, all right? If you really want to uh, scare the bejesus out of me, uh, put me alone in a, in a dark house, okay? Freaks me out. But let me explain to you why I'm so afraid. When I was young, like, you know, toddler age, my mom actually, you know, recounts the stories for me. But I, I, I remember the feeling. But, you know, I obviously at some point I didn't have a fear of darkness, you know, and I would run, you know, down the hallways, you know, at night and things like this. And, but when I was this age, my dad thought it would be funny if he would hide behind a door or hide around, you know, the, the, the turn in the hallway or something like that and jump out and scare the poop out of me, all right? And, and, and so my mom says, sure enough, you know, I'd go fly. And she said, most of the time you were kind of looking, you know, where's daddy, where's daddy? And I'd go flying down the hallway. And sure enough, he would be hiding behind a door and he would jump out. And she says, you'd scream and you'd come running back. And you were, she said, he'd be laughing and you would be hysterically crying. It was not fun. In fact, it's funny because I, even though I can't recall you know, maybe those exact moments, I still have that feeling when I'm walking down a dark hallway that something may be around the corner, right? Anybody else feel this way? Okay, so when I was a kid, when I was a kid, <clears throat> I uh, actually, I'm sorry, I was a lot older than this, but when I, I uh, the bathroom was really, really far from my room, okay? So it was a journey and it was a, a adventure leaving my bed and getting to the bathroom because I don't know what it was about my parents, but they did not believe in leaving lights on back then. Karen. Yeah, Karen, you go to Karen's house. It's lit up like a Christmas tree all year round. So I would, you know, I, I knew I had to go to the bathroom and I would do this wrestling match in my head. Like, do I really have to go? Do you really, do you really need to get up out of bed? Do you really need to, you know, because it was just this fear started gripping me. So I'd finally work up the courage only because I was going to explode if I didn't. And so I would jump out of bed and I would say, okay, I need to run to the first light switch in the hall. That's where I would go. And I would jump out of bed and I would beeline to the first you know, light switch and then turn that light switch on, catch my breath. Okay, I made it. I made it to the hallway. The, the hallway light is on. Now I need to make it down to the bathroom. I got to turn the bathroom light on. And I would do the same thing. I would just run as fast as I could into the bathroom, turn the bathroom light on, shut the door. Okay, I made it into the bathroom. But then I realized I got to do all this in reverse. And I got to turn lights off because I can't leave all the lights on. My parents would get upset. And I would do the same thing. I would go running and I would turn the light off. And then there was that moment 
when I was going to have to turn the last hall light off and make it from the hall light, the hallway to my bed in dark. Scared the living, uh, scared, you know, I want to use words that I just shouldn't use words, but it scared me to death. And I would do it, I would work up the courage, and literally, I mean, can you imagine, just let's, you know, if we could picture, here's this kid alone in his house, completely safe, not, you know, not, there's nothing going to happen to him, who's hyperventilating in the hallway, about to turn off the light and run back to his bed. There I am. So I'll flip off the light and I would run as fast as I could back to my bed. Of course, my adrenaline pumping, thinking that at any moment something was going to jump out from around, you know, behind a door or something like that. I do not lie to you. I still have those feelings even as an adult today, even though I know it's completely you know, there's no way someone is, is standing, you know, behind the doorway, but I still do it. I still have to calm myself down saying, Matthew, there's nobody behind the door. This is my dad. My dad scarred me, you guys. Scarred me. I hate the dark. I hate the dark. And that's why, you know, but, but that's why once you turn the light on and you realize there's nothing there, right? There's nothing there that's going to jump out at me. There's nothing there that's going to hurt me. There's nothing there that's going to, you know, freak me out. Um, please don't do that to your kids. I, I, know, I know some of you, and I know that you would probably like, please don't. Uh, I am a 43-year-old man who still has issues walking down a dark hallway. Please don't scare your little kids. You, you can scare your teenagers. That's fine. Scare your, but not little kids. But what this reminds me of is, you know, how often are, are we trying to, you know, make it through life and how often is that we can't see, right? We can't see what's in front of us or we can't see what's around the bend or we can't see what's down the hall or, and, 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 and I don't know about some of you, but when, when you don't know what to expect in life, you start to panic a little, you start to maybe even fear even creeps in, you know, may, maybe even the, the, this, you know, panic adrenaline, you know, anxiety starts to come over you because you can't seem to see from point A to point B, but you know I got I to gotta keep walking. I can't give up. I mean, I got to get there, right? But that's where Jesus comes in, and that's where he says, I am the light of the world, and that's where he comes and lights up your path, and that's where he comes to show you there's nothing around the corner that's going to hurt you. There's nothing. I can't tell you how many times, you guys, in my personal life that, that I visually started to see things and it didn't look like things were going well. But as I trust in God and as I relied on his word and as I kept just putting my faith in him, I would walk down that path and I would realize, you know what? It wasn't as bad as I was making it out to be. In fact, most of the time I would watch God do amazing, amazing things when I would continue on and not give up. I want to look at a story, another story. Last week we talked about uh, Jesus you know, forgiving uh, the woman who was who was found in adultery and and, and you know and what is what does Jesus say I you know he goes where where are your accusers and he looks at the woman and he says listen neither do I condemn you go and sin no more here is Jesus the light of the world you know and someone has sinned and he and and even even found in her sin Jesus wasn't here to to bring condemnation that's not why Jesus came Jesus is here to expose sin yes but. But more importantly, he's, he's come to extend love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. 
And we're going to see another story where he does this. So if you have your Bibles, open them to, to uh, John, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, in chapter 9. This actually is not long after, uh, and even in, the, even in the scriptures, it's only a, a, a chapter next, when we see Jesus refer to himself again as the light of the world. And again, he kind of uses his circumstance to kind of share with us his intentions and, 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 and what he's trying to do and, and, and who he is, who God really, really is. So if you guys would read along with me in, in uh, uh, John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read it to you. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus says. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm, I'm, the same, I'm the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told him, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. I want to pause on this story, and, and I want to address kind of the, the, the theme you know, in here, and it's the question that is proposed to Jesus. And it's an important question to ask because I, I see a lot of Christians even still to this day that live by the misunderstanding of, of, of the repercussions of sin. And so the disciples asked Jesus, you know, there's this, there's this young man, or, the, you know, there's this man and he's blind. Who sinned? And it was the belief of the day, it was kind of culturally believed, especially in the Jewish community, that if you were stricken by some, you know, uh, health issue, or if, you know, some calamity befell you, that, that mean it was because of sin in your life. And sadly, because of that, if people would see you, if you were part of kind of the Jewish culture and then kind of the Jewish community, you, you actually got very little pity if they saw you, you know, hurting. If they saw you in need. If they saw you homeless or if they saw you, the average person would walk by you and think, well, you are here because you've sinned. It's kind of a sad thought, right? It's kind of a terrible way. I mean, you know, you, you've done nothing wrong and, you know, you think I, you know, I was born this way or I was... You know, or, or I had no control over the calamity. You know, some, you know, I, I was working in construction and, and some, you know, rocks and things fell on me and now I'm a cripple. And you know what I mean? It just happened to you. 
And yet people have this belief well, that, well, it must have been because of sin in your life. You might think that this is a only historical way of thinking, but sadly I have heard people talk this way in church, even, even in, you know, our today's culture. I've heard people say, well, that person's going through that because of sin in their lives. And Jesus is addressing this issue. In fact, he's shining a light on a falsehood that, you know, the Bible even says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. That good things happen and bad things happen, you know, because we live in a fallen world, not because, you know, you have this sin in your life and God is punishing you. That is not who God is. That is not his character. Now, let me pause and say, are there effects to our sin? Well, yes, but those are things you caused, right? Let's get that straight, that if it's something you've done, and, and because of what you've done, there is now a repercussion of your sin. Remember, you brought that on yourself. God did not you know, put that upon you. God is warning us, and God is, you know, is so gracious and is so loving, and, but I, I want to be clear that I don't know what it is that you're going through in your life, but never ever think the thought because of you know, a, a, an infirmity that you have or a defect or a situation that you're in, and you're in this situation because God hates you or because God's punishing you or because you're such a bad person. That is false. That is a lie. God does not act that way. In fact, God is love, and we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. But I want to jump ahead, and Jesus kind of addresses this, this idea of, of us seeing, because, you know, all of us would say, well, I can see, right? I don't need to be healed physically of sight. I can see. But Jesus kind of addresses something more spiritual. In verse, same chapter, chapter 9, in verse 35, when Jesus heard what had happened, now and before, they're kind of arguing over, uh, you know, how this man was healed and, you know, there's this whole conversation and then Jesus kind of comes back and he's still in this moment. When Jesus had heard what happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, well, who is he? Because I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus says. And he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees were standing nearby and heard him and asked, Are you saying that we're blind? Obviously, there was some conviction there if they were asking the question. Jesus then says, Well, if you're blind, you wouldn't be guilty. Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim that you can see. Jesus is addressing the, the religious leaders, the religious spirit that still exists in this world, the people that think they know the truth, the people that think they know what is right and what is wrong, but they're not getting this from God's word. They're not, they're not getting this from God's spirit. They're just coming up with their own ideas and Jesus is addressing this idea of, of spiritual blindness. That those who may claim that they see and claim that they know, 
you know, are really blind. And, I, and I'm just going to throw this out there. You know, in our culture, there is a lot of spiritual blindness on many, many levels. There is tons and tons of spiritual blindness. Our world needs to see the light of God more, more than ever before. And there's so many people, and I've said this before, there's so many people that have an opinion. There's so many people that have their own truth. In fact, that's kind of a concept today. Whatever is right for you, right? Whatever is truth for you. The problem is, is Jesus contradicts that. Jesus says it's not about what the truth is for you. It's about what the, the word of God says. And, and that's why he says, I am the light of the world. That he's, he's trying to shed light on the truth. So I have three points for you. Because I wouldn't be a good four square pastor if I didn't have some points. <laughs> three points. So what are some things that we can be spiritually blind to? This is a great time to kind of assess. This is a great time to kind of look deep into our own lives. It's a little scary. You know what I mean? I have a daughter who, I don't know why, but does not like to clean her bedroom. I apologize, Bella. I know I beat up on her about this a lot, but it's just a great illustration. And it's funny because I walk in and I see everything. But I'll ask her, Bella, do you see this? See what, Dad? You don't see all of this? I can barely walk through your room. Oh, there's just, a, I just need to pick up a couple things. A couple things. It looks like someone took a grenade and threw it in your bedroom. There is stuff everywhere. I literally have to, you know, step up over, you know, clothes and piles and, and things like that. I'm like, this doesn't bother you. It gives me anxiety opening up her door and yet she's like relaxed on her bed and you know on her ipad or she's draw, you know drawing art and so like that and by the way my my daughter is wonderful i just like to pick on her this because it drives me nuts but that is the difference between somebody that sees and somebody that doesn't see the stuff is there right her bedroom, and using this as an illustration, her bedroom is a complete mess. And she can't seem to see it like I see it. And that is how often we you know, walk through this world and God is trying to shine a light on our stuff, but we want to be blind to it because we won't, don't want to have to clean it up. But what's great is, and by the way, I, I do this a lot, I help her clean her room. I understand it's, it's work. I understand that it feels overwhelming sometimes. But that's what our loving father says is, listen, I want to expose this in your life. I want to expose your dirty room, not to make you and rub your nose in it and make you feel guilty about it, but to come in and say, I want to help you clean this up. Because I want you to live in peace. I want you to live in comfort. I want you to be anxiety free. I, I want you to be able not to trip and fall and stumble and hurt yourself. And that's why God, you know, shines the light. So the three, three, three things that, that we can be spiritually blind to, and the first is the truth. The first is the truth. John 8, 31 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, 
And the truth will, what? The truth will set you free. You guys, the truth did not come to hinder you. The truth did not come to bind you up. The truth did not come to to put a, a weight upon you. If you are feeling weight because of of believing in Jesus Christ, I'm just going to tell you, you're not doing it right. You're doing it wrong, and there should be a freedom that comes in Christ. There should be a freedom of knowing the truth. And the problem is, is the difference between spirituality and being awake and being our eyes open to the things of the spiritual realm, the, the opposite of that is, is that religious burden, right? That, the, that religiosity, if that's even a word, but the, the religious people try to put this yoke of burden upon you. The Bible says the truth shall set you free. There should be a freedom in knowing what the truth is. Psalm 199 uh, and, and one, uh, verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth, the psalmist says, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. The entirety, listen you guys, the entirety of your truth, right? He's talking about the entirety of your word is truth. All of this, you guys, is truth. The, the world is constantly trying to tell you that there is, uh, that, that it doesn't flow, that, that there's contradictions in the Bible, that there isn't. I know I've read it. In fact, I've gone beyond reading it. I've tried living it. And I haven't found contradictions. The only contradiction is me. I'm it. I'm the only one who fights it. I'm the only one who pushes against it. I'm the only one every time God tries to shine a light in an area, goes, stop, I don't want to see it. That's it. I'm the only problem in the scenario. Psalms 119, 105. I'm sorry, the other one was also Psalm 119. I said Psalm 199. Psalm 119, it's the same chapter. I know it's a big one, but it's... There is no Psalm 199, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 119, 105. So the first one was Psalm 119, 160. The second one is Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm just going to tell you guys right now, if you're having problems in your life, if if you're struggling, if you're stumbling, if you're wanting to know the truth and you don't feel like you see it, be in God's word. I'm not saying this to burden you down and to give you something more to do, I'm telling you because what did I say the truth will do for you? It will set you free. If you're feeling bound up, chained, weighted down by the world, if you're feeling you know, that the weight of the world is upon you, if you're feeling that the weight of your own sin is upon you, listen, you guys, know the truth because it will set you free. It has for me. This is how I can stand in front of you. I don't stand in front of you because I'm perfect. I stand in front of you because I've tried it. And I say it works. I say I've been set free. I'm not any better than you. I'm just trying to say, come, follow me as I follow Christ. The second thing that we can be spiritually blind to is sin. And I use the analogy of, of, of a, you know, Bella's dirty Room. It's not sin. So for those of you parents, it's not sin that your kids aren't, you know, cleaning their rooms. They're just weird. I don't know why someone can't clean their, pick up your stuff. 
Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, the reason why God wants to expose sin or expose even your personal sin is because if not dealt with, you will have to eventually at some point pay the ultimate price, and that is eternal death. And God does not want that. When we talk about sin in church, it should not be, you know, to condemn you. It should not be to make you feel less than. If anything, it should free you up and say, you know what, I want to deal with this. I want to be healed. I want to get rid of this out of my life. That is why, that is why Jesus exposes, and that is why he, he, when he heals us, it's not even just this physical healing. It's this spiritual awakening. It's this spiritual eye-opening. And I'm going to be honest with you, one of the first things you know, uh, uh, that I saw in my life when I really came to the fullness and understanding of Christ was I started looking around and I go, oh my gosh, I'm a mess. I'm dirty. I'm filthy. But what was amazing was Jesus says, just like he said to the woman that we talked about, yes, you are. You're dirty. You're filthy. But I didn't come to condemn you. I came to free you. And I love you. And then go and sin no more. The third thing <clears throat> that we can be spiritually blind to is, is his love. This is where I see most Christians especially wrestle with God's love. We go back and forth with understanding, you know, we, we're, with how God loves us. And I used to be under the assumption that if I messed up, that God did not love me. That if I did something wrong, if I sin, you know what I mean? That God stopped loving me and somehow I kind of got kicked out of the club and I had to like fight my way back. That is a religious way of thinking because that is not who God is. In fact, now that I've become a parent, now that I've become a father, I've actually understood this concept of, uh, of loving even when, you know, my children, you know, don't obey me. Even when my children, you know, do things wrong. Even when my children don't clean up their room. I hope Bella listens to this uh, message. She's homesick. She's not, she's definitely not cleaning up her room. But... You guys, Jesus loves us so much. And let's look at the scriptures. First Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. What it, this is where Paul describes what love is. And, and God is love, so God is these things. It says this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude does not demand its own way, it is not irritable, and it keeps no records of being wronged. It, is, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, and this is really what I've seen God in my life. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Obviously, this is how we're to love, but God is love. These are the things he is. John 3.16, you guys. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, I think we've, 
we, we say this scripture so much that it kind of loses its flavor. But if you really stop and think about it, it's a powerful, powerful scripture. It's why it's used everywhere. It's why, you know, Tim Tebow put it on his, you know, face. For God so loved the world, you guys, that what did he do? He gave his one and only son. That whoever, and this is, this is the simplest part, whoever believes in him. It doesn't say whoever's perfect, but whoever believes in him. Does it say whoever's never sinned? No. Does it say whoever, you know, got their life together? No. Say whoever, you know, serves me the most? No. Whoever goes out and evangelizes the most people? No. Whoever believes, whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. His love, you guys, his love. So let's ask Jesus, let's ask God to heal us and open our eyes to his truth, to our sin, and to his love. Amen? Let's ask God. The last thing that I want to point out, and this is it, the last thing I want to point out. Jesus kind of made this claim in this scripture. He said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Right? He said that in this passage that we just read. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In fact, Jesus, he even goes on to say, there's going to be a day of darkness that's going to come. Let's, let's get to work before that day comes. Here's what I believe Christ is saying. Is Jesus physically here on earth? No, in fact, the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father. But I don't believe that he's gone. In fact, it, it, I can prove to you because he sent his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit dwells in us. And then what does Jesus call us? We are the light of the world now, right? We are it. If we have Christ in us, we are now the light of the world. We, we sang the songs, don't hide your light, you know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? That is now our job, you guys. That is now, you know, what we need to do is all the things that Jesus had come to be the light of the world, it is now given to us as the task to, to you know, shine this light, to, to show people the light of Christ, to be these things that Jesus was for us, to be these things to the, to the world. Matthew 5, 14, for you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Colossians 1, 12, always thanking the Father he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Listen, you guys, we have a job to do. The story does not end with Jesus coming down as a baby and becoming the light of the world, right? That's obviously what we're joyful about. That's obviously what we get so excited about Christmas is because that light has come and he shed a light on our sin. He shed a light on the darkness, not to condemn us, but so that we can get our acts together, so that we can believe in him. But then we have a job to do, church. 
We have a job to do, and I'm telling this to every single one of you, and every single one of you, the, the, the task is, is set before you no matter who you are or who you think you are or if you think, you know, I, I'm, I've got my life together or you think I don't have my life together. It doesn't matter. Jesus asks us all to go and be the light of the world because if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we need to understand that as long as we are here, as long as his church is here, this is what I believe he's saying in that scripture, that as long as I am here in the world, then the world will see. But the minute, you guys, I believe that Jesus comes back and it says that day of darkness comes, there will be a time that that's it, that that's over. I say this to you because we all know somebody that's still living in darkness, right, as we have. We all still know people. We have neighbors, we have coworkers, we have people at our school. We need to start shining and sharing the light with others. Now, not you know, throwing it in people's faces and you know, in a condemnation way or, or, or putting people down or making them feel inferior. No, just the same way Jesus did. I did not come to condemn you. I did not come to condemn you, right? But I came to bring the light and I came to shine it and I hope you see it. I just want to share this one last thing because it can get a little bit of frustrating when you're sharing your faith. You can be rejected by the way Jesus has been rejected over and over and over again. There's people who are going to deny the light. There's people who are going to continue to choose to live in darkness. That's not your problem, right? You should feel a little bit of the weight of that and, and that it should continue to propel us to go out and share our faith and share the light. But that's, you know, that's not because you're a bad Christian. You know, going back to that whole you know, statement, it's not because you're a bad Christian because people don't accept, that's on them. But continue, you guys, to let your light shine. And continue to understand that when we say that the light is here, that we're saying now you are the light. This is why that it is so important that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This is why that it's so important that you understand God's truth because it's our job now. It's our job to be the light of the world, amen? Will you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your love. God, we thank you that you sent a beacon of light down to us so that we would not stumble around in the darkness anymore. And as Jesus said, he did not come to condemn the world, but he came to set it free. He came to heal it. He became to expose the sin so that we could deal with it, so that we could understand it, so that we can leave it at the foot of the cross as Jesus died for those sins. Lord, first we need to understand that. We need to get that, that we are loved, so loved that there is nothing, the Bible says, that there's neither height nor depth. That not, you know, it doesn't matter where we go. We cannot hide from the love of God. He will pursue us. He will follow us. He will track us down because there is nowhere his light can't go. I want to ask a question. If you've been struggling with God's love for you, if you have been condemning yourself because of your own actions, because of maybe your own sin and maybe your own guilt and things like that, and you're the one. Maybe you feel like, you know, I've, yeah, I've kind of even turned my back on God. 
because maybe how I perceived how he viewed me. I want to tell you the truth. I want to expose the lie of the enemy that God loves you no matter what, that there is nothing that can keep you from his love, that there is no sin that you can do that will separate you from his love. I want to shed light on that situation that maybe it is that you're going through. I want to bring healing maybe to a place of, of falsehood, maybe a lie that you've been believing that you are somehow less than, that you are maybe the one person that doesn't deserve his love because that is a lie from the pit of hell. You do deserve his love because he is God. You do deserve his love because of who he is, not because of who you are. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is receive that free gift I know, I know there has to be someone in this room that has been struggling with God's love for them. And I am telling you right now, God loves you unconditionally. And if you just allow him to invade every part of your life, he will heal you. He will restore you. And he will show you things that you have never seen before. Your eyes will be opened. So Father God, I pray for those who've been struggling with that, who've been struggling with your love. I pray healing in their hearts. I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts as even the song suggests that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you in our lives. Lord, as even Estella shared with us this morning how God never abandoned her even through all the tragedies, all the seasons of life, all the times, all the hardships that she has seen God consistently in her life pursuing her. Lord, that's how you feel about every single one of us this morning. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for loving us. And I just want to sing one last song of worship to the Lord. Will you guys stand with me?